yeah, you're a drugstore cowboy. Everything you put in your mouth looks like an Altoid. That was your culture-forming poet Ice Cube. And this is Security Today. Welcome to Security Today. This is episode four. We have made it. Thank you, everybody. Have a nice night. Uh, I'm just kidding. Season one, I'm the security industry's cool uncle, Uncle Bear. That's B-A-E-R. Don't ask. Just follow me right now on Instagram and Twitter at Uncle B-A-E-R underscore. And then follow this podcast on Instagram at Security Today Podcast. If you want to be a sponsor, just DM me and be like, bruh, I want to be a sponsor. And I'll be like, cool. Or I'll get so many people asking to that I'll just ignore all of you. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about. This is a little interesting of a topic because it's not necessarily a physical component that we would install in the security industry or maybe something to do with the physical things that we put in place, but it is something that is plaguing the entirety of our nation. And I want to talk about how it's touching the security industry as uh, a whole. So I want to talk about the opioid syndemic. Now, most people know it as the opioid epidemic, but there's another podcast called Crimeversation. In episode 10, season two, they talk about uh, to Kerry Rigg. He's the assistant professor in the Department of Mental Health Law and Policy. And in episode 11, season two, they talk to a man named Wilson, I believe it's Palacios, or I think. He's a PhD professor at Massachusetts Massachusetts Lowell. Now, he talks about it being a syndemic, not an epidemic. A syndemic is when two epidemics are taking place over pretty much the same thing, and those tend to overlap each other, and we're kind of moving into that with the synthetic drug of fentanyl, which is an opioid, but it was made in a lab. It's like 20, it can be up to 200 times more powerful. It takes like a sprinkle on the head of a penny to kill an elephant. So it's really taking um, a hold on our nation's drug problem, but it's also going to affect the security industry in some ways. I want to talk about that. And then all of that is going to open our minds to try to keep at the forefront this idea called broken window theory. I'll break that down. You'll keep it in your head for the week and hopefully for the rest of your security career. And then you'll thank me on stage as you're holding a golden star Uh, It'll be great. I'll be there drunk in the back. Listen, let's talk about our sponsor, LimkeyLockworks.com, the door experts. South of the Green Bay area, Limkey Lockworks has been in the locksmith industry for more than 25 years. They work in residential, commercial, the installation of hollow metal doors, um, smart home, and access control. You can check them out online, so follow on Instagram at Limke, L-E-M-K-E, Lockworks, and let them know that you heard of them here, and I'm sure that they'll send me a royalty. Let's talk about some chit-chat. Security sales and integration December 2019 issue. There was a special report that touched on the Athena security gun detection column, um, and it was not a very big column, but it was somewhere in that magazine. I'm going to leave that as a spoiler. Go get the magazine. And they introduced this piece of terminology called left of bang. 
I haven't heard of it before, but apparently it's a thing because it had like 500 hashtag posts about it, but whatever. Um, I thought I was in a new arena, but okay. Um, it's called Left of Bang. The idea here is, is that in FBI security reports, when they start to report where crime happened, they have to put a point on a graph, okay? And that graph is almost always because of algebra, if you were paying attention, going towards the right. So the idea is that with the physical security implementations that we can put into place, we are trying to stay left of bang. So before that gun goes off and there's another statistic of a murder or a mass shooting or a terrorism attack, there was an implementation of something that could deter, detect, delay, deny a security system that was in place, a physical security system in place that was already protecting or already deterring something and we were moving the needle left of bang from that ever happening. I am adopting that. I'm putting it in my hashtags now and I want to adopt that into just my normal speech when I talk about the security industry because I think it's a really... Um, really like, you know, powerful pop of a, of a little phrase that you can throw in there and just be like, look, we're trying to stay left of bang. That's something that we, that I want to be a part of. That's something that I try to do. So, um, feel free to adopt it and feel free to use it all, all you want. Just try to put it into everything. Um, and then we'll both be weird together, but yes, left of bang. Now let's get after it. So newspapers around the world carried this tragic story. Ella Henderson, a young socialite, became addicted to opioids after the death of her father. She soon turned to other drugs and alcohol. The articles recounted the Henderson's uh, friends, convinced that she was no longer capable of taking care of her child. So they ended up, you know, uh, taking her child in. The drugs had just really dragged her down to the verge of debauchery. And in the seclusion of her own room, she literally poisoned herself to death. Henderson was 33 years old, and the year was 1878. This story was recounted by the editor-in-chief, Teresa Anderson, of Security Management Magazine in the November 2019 issue. Miss Anderson says, For, From crime on company property to insider theft to injuries and accidents, when opioid use spills over into the workplace, the results can be dangerous. Armed with resources and awareness, security professionals can prepare to face the newest and hopefully the last op opioid syndemic. I added syndemic in there because um, as we go through this, I'll kind of touch on where fentanyl came in and stuff like that. I didn't know a whole lot about the opioid epidemic. I had heard it on the news. I had heard these things, but it is something, opioids are something that have plagued our country for, uh, I mean, as you can see, since the Civil War. And so this is something that um, I think very important that at least we know about. It's not something that we have to carry into our week and you need to now be concerned as you're putting in that um, relay about the op opioid epidemic, but it is something that you need to know about so that it's a category that you can touch on when you see maybe a friend or a coworker in need, or maybe you're at the doctor and you're being prescribed something that you're not comfortable with. At least you'll have some information. So let's talk about um, just opium in general. Opium's been around for thousands of years. It comes from the poppy plant. Uh, that's one way to ingest it is just through poppy seed. And this all kind of started, though, with morphine in the late 1800s from a German scientist named Frederick 
Sertner, Sertner, Sertner. I don't speak German, so you get it. Um, and what happened is, is he created this drug called morphine. Now it's funny because he named it morphine after like the goddess of dreams from Greek mythology, um, and that's just interesting because it, you know, kind of takes your dreams from you as as, as you get hooked on it. Um, look, Bayer, B A Y E R was a company that was around in the early 1900s. They started pushing um, actual heroin as a non-addictive safe alternative to the morphine. So morphine was being overused, it was being overprescribed, and people were being, you know, killed by it. And that was kind of the, that, that started as this, like, rumor that kind of got out, and then this man kind of pushed that, uh, you know, uh, that's actually with the heroin, but the, the people were seeing that morphine wasn't safe, so Bayer makes heroin. Great. That's the worst. And what happens is, is in the early 1900s, the, it starts to kill people, clearly, and it gets linked back to that, and heroin was criminalized in 1924. Now, we come all the way up into the mid-90s, okay? So kind of as you go from the early 1900s to the um, mid to early 90s, it's not really a thing that you use opium anymore to help with pain in the medical field. It's obviously there, it's being prescribed, but it's not necessarily the hot button on the radar. And then we get into the mid-90s, and the FDA's approval of a opium called Oxycontin, because it was slow acting over 12 hours in a pill form. Now, they didn't account for the sec, for, um, for the part that you could crush up the pill, you could take it different ways, you could do this and do that, and they also, for some reason, um, let it pass with a five-sentence study that Purdue Pharma pushed through uh, and then provided that Oxycontin was safe, and it didn't. And so it started waves of addiction and death in the largest drug drug epidemic known to America, and it's killed more people than the Vietnam War, almost twice. And we had this epidemic on the rise, and it was really taking over. And then, I don't know why, but they continued to create opium drugs that were synthetic now. It, it was now able to become synthetic. You could just build it in a lab. You didn't have to grow it or cut it or take it out of the DNA of a plant. You could just make it. And they made fentanyl. If you haven't heard of fentanyl, it was a drug originally created for serious surgeries and really late stage cancer patients with the worst types of cancer so that they could just ease themselves into death. And it was being pres prescribed through the early 2000s and uh, mid-2000s for back pain, for ankle pain, for pretty much anything. It was working its way into these pharmaceutical companies and reps, pumping it to the doctors to go ahead and uh, prescribe out. Now, there's a whole issue in the stream of it, okay? It's not a one-fixed solution, like it's this guy's fault or it's that person's um, fault. It's also not that company's fault or that scientist's fault, or anything of that. It's a long list of things and a long list of out-of-controlness and just allowing people to go after money that has ended us up where we're at with it. Now, 130 people died today in America due to an opioid overdose. The problem with fentanyl is, is that most fentanyl is actually made in China. And what happens is you can get it super cheap, super easy from China. So they're taking it 
and the Mexican cartels are buying it from China and then lacing it into the heroin so that they can cut the heroin and get more money out of the same amount of stash when they sell it stateside. And so people are dying who are buying heroin on the streets because it's laced with a drug that they don't even know that they're taking. And they are used to taking this much heroin, but because it's laced with this synthetic opium fentanyl, they take way too much, and they end up going into... uh, uh, Your body pretty much seizes up and you can't breathe anymore. Um, But So that's a major problem. Now look, security management did a really good piece on it. And they brought to light this issue that needs to just be known by people. It's not necessarily something that you have to know in your security industry, but it is something that you just need to know that there is a syndemic going on right now that is killing 130 people a day because it's unmanaged and because people are not in the know about it. And they don't know if they're if, if you're listening and you take street drugs, you might not even know that it's out there. And now it's being laced in um, Massachusetts and Boston area. They're finding it in simple things like marijuana. They're finding it in cocaine. And the and that's because it gives you a high and the and the people who are selling the drugs can cut a stash and make more money. It's just simple business economics at that point. But if we're not in the know on this then we can get into some really dangerous areas or we can or people uh we can know people who get into really dangerous areas really quick and that's that's just something that I feel we need to know and security management did such a good job of pulling it out and tying it to our industry that um I wanted to talk about it so in the November 2019 there was a this article was called a constellation of changes by Claire Meyer and she touches on things like the working age individual, so 15 to about 64, account for 95% of U.S. drug overdose deaths and more than 5% of those being workplace deaths. So this opioid syndemic is creeping its way in into the security industry's workplace, into the working age individuals who are in the security industry. And there's a a good chance that you might know someone who is can be affected by this or is being affected by this. And so that's why this is something we need to know. Claire states, employees who abuse opioids have a higher absentee rate and are far more likely to lose their jobs, compounding emotional and economic hardships that can make the disorders worse. Those emotional and economic hardships um, kind of run in this line of strain. There's a strain theory in criminology that says that if you have three or more major strains in life, you're well more um, able and capable and pushed to commit criminal activity and stuff. And when you lose your job and you're having a hard time getting to work, these things can already begin to play in and just cycle you down. Now, workers with substance abuse disorders, they miss an average of almost 15 days a year, while those with prescription pain use disorders miss 29, compared just to the average 10 of most employees. And this is a CDC report. So it's it's imperative to talk about the safety and security in the workplace in the security and safety industry. The first thing I want to kind of touch on is just impairment. So according to the NSC survey, 86% of employees believe that taking opioids 
even as prescribed, can impair employees' job performance, but only 60% have policies in place that require employees to notify employers if they're even taking opioids. So most, I mean, you can, you can find a good chunk of companies that do believe that it would, their employee might feel impaired on the job if they're prescribed or taking illegal uh, opioids, but only 60% of them have a policy in place that require them to notify that. Now, crime-wise, I want to talk about crime. Statistically, those who are addicted to the opioid path, or I'm sorry, the opioid pain meds, will need a better high. And so they'll turn to the fentanyl or the heroin addictions. And this leads one to get into a habit that can require up to almost $300 a day, causing someone to turn to criminal activity easily to feed the habit. Now, Richard Widdup, CPP, uh, Global Corporate Security Director for RB, a global health and hygiene product manufacturer, says that everyone brings baggage to work. And baggage we don't want at work is someone who is involved in trafficking, someone bringing illicit substances on campus, or people who may inadvertently or with intent tamper with products. So as this goes into these global um, manufacturers, they want to be sure as security professionals in the management positions that this baggage that is coming into work because every single person is bringing it is baggage that doesn't leave people hurt because of products or leave people hurt because of what they're doing. That's the same in the security industry. If you're wiring something for fire, life, or safety, and you're impaired, or security, and you're impaired, that could be hurting other people due to it. So the opioid syndemic becomes a serious threat and a risk that needs to get roped into the business continuity plan, the risk management or risk assessments of a company. Companies, security industry alike, need to start considering how to respond to this growing syndemic, including uh, becoming recovery-friendly workplaces, from strong awareness and employee assistance programs, which are called EAPs, that can provide initial counseling and provisions for referrals to additional treatment uh, to naloxone or Narcan rescue programs, which is the shot drug that brings you back to life when you've had an opioid overdose, where there's a policy in place to be able to implement these reverse drugs that can bring someone out of that um, overdose. These are the things that need to be being issued and being put into place. And maybe that's uh, something that you feel like you should tell your employer or as somebody who employs people, have that in place. So with preventing and maintaining this syndemic, there's a plaguing on our nation. And it triggers, it triggers this thought, okay, so to talk about something else that touches much more on the physical realm of security that also directly affected uh, by prevention and maintenance, And I'm going to get to that in just a sec, but I want to have my ending point to say that on the opioid syndemic, we need to make sure that at least it's something we know about. There's plenty of podcasts from NPR. There's plenty of reading material, all of this other stuff. You can find the rabbit hole of the opioid epidemic and the opioid syndemic that um, will just show you a lot of things that are are heart-wrenching. But in the end, we just need to have it as something that we know. So be aware of it. If you're an employer, if you're an employee, if you have people in your life that have pain problems and and they're being prescribed things, or if you have people in your life that you know turn to street drugs and, and, and use in that way, 
That I'm not here to give a gavel of judgment on, on saying that that's a criminal activity and, and you shouldn't be associated with those people. No, come on, for real. We're all associated with people who use street drugs. They need to be aware that there's something out there that could be lacing it and we all could be ending up in a more dangerous situation. That's the opioid syndemic. I hope you think about it. I hope you look into it. Let's talk about something called broken window theory. Okay, so this has much more, it has a lot to do with prevention and maintenance, just like what we need to be doing for the opioid syndemic, but it deals a lot more with the physical security realm. Now, this is kind of a sensitive topic, okay, because it was originally brought about in the light of policing in the 1982 article written by two men named uh, James Wilson and George Kelling. They, they pushed hard in the state of New York by Commissioner William Bratton and Mayor Rudy Giuliani in the 1990s it led to the reduction of crime, but it also bred like this stop and frisk and zero tolerance policing that has led to really hellacious acts that have in turn broken the uh, windows of <laughs> equality leading to the method meeting racism and the deaths of individuals like Amadou Diallo in the late 90s or even more recent in 2014 like the wrongful death of Eric Garner. I mean, the broken window theory in the light of policing, it wasn't really... It was taken kind of out of context. In fact, Bratton and Kelling commented in the 90s that the broken window policing should be handled with extensive training as an assist in commuting and community policing and never with zero tolerance, though it was a lot more convenient just to take it in the light of what policing has become today. Now, my stance on broken window theory is from a security industry lens only. I don't condone it in policing, actually. But when it comes to the security world, it actually kind of finds its groove and, and does really good. It does really good things. Now, in the Wilson and Kelling report, there was a study done by a guy named Philip Zimbardo, a Stanford psychologist in 1969. And what he did was, and this is kind of how it got its name, but he takes a car and he leaves it abandoned in the Bronx. No license plate, hood up. And in Wilson's words, he says, the car in the Bronx was attacked by vandals within 10 minutes of its abandonment. Uh, remember, this is 69. The first to arrive were a family, father, mother, and a young son, who removed the radiator and the battery. Within 24 hours, virtually everything of value had been removed, and then random destruction began. Windows were smashed, parts were torn off, upholstery was ripped. Children began to use the car as a playground, and most of the adult vandal vandals were actually well-dressed and apparently clean-cut whites. He also arranged a car to be left in Palo Alto, California. Now, he recounts, The car in Palo Alto, sorry, Palo Alto, sat untouched for more than a week. Then, Zimbardo smashed part of it with a sledgehammer, and soon, passerbys were joining in. Within a few hours, the car had been turned upside down and utterly destroyed, and again, the vandals appeared to be primarily respectable whites. Their conclusion was this, Unintended property becomes far becomes fair game for people out for fun and plunder, and even for people who ordinarily would not dream of doing such things, and who probably consider themselves law-abiding citizens, we suggest that unintended behavior, un, I'm sorry, untended behavior also leads to the breakdown of community controls. Now, where I believe that the broken window theory starts to really shine 
is as a solid methodology in the security industry, specifically in crime prevention through environmental design, or SEPTED. Now, from the book of physical security principles compiled by As Is International, they say, for spaces to look well cared for, and crime-free, they must be maintained. The broken windows theory suggests that leaving broken windows or other decay markers, such as graffiti or trash or abandoned furniture, unattended or unrepaired, can lead to the impression of abandonment and increase crime opportunity as no capable guardian is observed. A parked car left too long with one broken window may soon have more. Maintenance of a building, including lighting, paint, signage, fencing, walkways, and any broken items is critical for showing that someone cares about the building and is responsible for the upkeep. This is why preventative maintenance is so critical for companies and industries that have brick and mortar and hard locations. There is scientific evidence that reports and shows that the first line of defense against the majority of threats and risks comes in the form of maintenance. Before you put security on a client's property or before you harden the door as a gold standard security professional, it would serve you well and serve your client even more well if you were looking for decay markers on the outside of the space. The appearance of decay and abandonment can shift the responsible tug in a law-abiding citizen's mind to decay and eventually be abandoned. Let me say that one more time. Listen here close. The appearance of decay and abandonment can begin to shift the responsibility that is within the law-abiding citizen to begin to decay and eventually be abandoned. Our industry's health will survive and thrive when we are looking for decay markers in individuals so that they can be helped and recovered and when we are looking for decay markers on site so that they can stay left of bang and build a safer environment for those trusting our services. From the opioid epidemic to the broken window theory, preventative maintenance is key. And we have to be pushing that as a security professional. We have to be pushing that we're starting from the outside of the building where science has shown that it's time to be building that up, to making that more secure by just its appearance. And then you move into things like the health of the door, the health of the building, or this or that and the other. But you can really start to change if that building is more secure from the criminal's mind if you begin to change the appearance and make it look like it's upkept. Make it, looks like, make it look like responsibility and an actual person is taking care of this place. And they don't feel that tug to decay and just take part in fun and plunder when they might ordinarily call themselves a law-abiding citizen. Look, that's it for this week on Security Today. I know it's heavy, but just sit with it. I hope you're blaring this podcast out your windows, yelling at the guy at the stop sign that he needs to listen to this podcast, being crazy like that, and telling all your coworkers and your security friends about the podcast. And also, remember to follow this podcast on Instagram at Security Today Podcast, and follow me, Uncle B-A-E-R underscore now. And then, while you're at it, go ahead, follow Low Voltage Nation on Instagram and inquire with them about how to get involved with a greater community. 
Now, after following them, type Low Voltage Nation into your search bar of your podcast platform and give it a subscribe. This community will not build itself, so go get involved and add what you can. I'm Uncle Bear, and I will see you next time on Security Today. Thank you.